Hello and welcome to another edition of the Scarlet Nation podcast. Bobby Darren here for 24-7 Sports. Uh, joined once again by the one and only Sean Brown, recruiting analyst extraordinaire. Sean, good to have, a, have you with us tonight talking a little Rutgers football and recruiting. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Bobby. And how's everything going through this unprecedented time? You know, it's, it's going good. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in the mix in uh, North Jersey. But, uh, you know, luckily, family has stayed healthy, um, you know, you know, through second degree, uh, two degree separation. So, you know, know some people that uh, have had some relatives that passed. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not ideal. Uh, but all things considered, you know, it could, it could be way worse for uh, myself and my family. Well, sorry to hear that, but glad you guys are okay. And, um, you know, glad to have you on board again. A lot to talk about. I know there's no sports going on, but recruiting is busier than ever. Um, Rutgers is quickly filling up the class. You know, I was looking at the top 50 schools with uh, commitments, and only Tennessee has more commitments than Rutgers right now. Rutgers has, you know, a bunch of guys, just a few spots left open, 19 commitments as of Thursday night when we're recording this thing. You know, they've been coming in such a flurry. You know, they, they, you always you always have to keep your eye open, have the Twitter on, right? No, uh, so tell me, you know, this surge, what do you make of it? I mean, because, you know, you, you had a big run on Jersey guys, and then you saw Greg Ciano start to take a chance on some guys who maybe weren't as high-profile recruits from out of state. Um, do you think it's a good move building up this many commitments this early and not having many spots left as the fall comes around? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I think the fans like to point at the star ratings and, you know, well, why did they take this kid that was, you know, uh, four stars versus the three star guy? Uh, but it definitely seems like um, Shiano and, and the program are recruiting to the specific players that they want. Um, and, you know, if, if a guy checks all the boxes for them, you know, even if he's not as highly rated as some other other guys that are, are available, you know, that may have been offered by previous staff, they're they're gonna make a move on them and, and bring them in. So they're 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 definitely sticking to their guns there. They they definitely have a, a type of player, uh, you know, certain characteristics that they're looking for and then they're and they're sticking to that, you know, as closely as they possibly can. And, you know, it's it's an interesting um, when you look at the class, you know, all these positions are starting to fill up. Offensive line was obviously one that they needed, weren't getting. They went to plan B, plan C, whatever. And, and all of a sudden they have a few guys in there. Um, what do you make of that? You know, they have three now in Kevin Toth, Jr., Gus Solanskis and Albert Reese. Um, you know, uh, how, how do you how do you make it uh, what they've done in that regard? You know, all right, this guy's not working. Let's go to the next guy. You know, I, I felt off, off the bat, you know, um, you know, Shiana has said it, you know, they're, they're going to go inside out with how they recruit, obviously, uh, New Jersey, New York, Eastern Pennsylvania, you know, things of that nature are our priority uh, for for that staff. And, you know, when you looked at uh, I mean, there there are a number of, of you know, power five FBS uh, offensive linemen uh, in the region in this class, uh, you know, a number of them were offered, you know, by the previous staff, but, um, you know, when Greg Chiano took over, um, you know, they reviewed, you know, all the prospects and they, they just felt that there were a lot of guys that they didn't want to go forward with and, and, and offer, you know, so that forced them to get more out of their, the comfort zone and, and spread the net wider um, than he had traditionally, but that was always a plan we heard, right. That they were recruiting States that, that, 
in his previous stint, they weren't recruiting. Just in general, Rutgers was not recruiting at. Um, so, I mean, you look at a guy like Kevin Toth in, in Grand Ohio, it, it makes sense. It's it's within the Big Ten footprint. You know, you're you're playing there every other year. Um, you know, playing Ohio State and obviously some of the other surrounding uh, states. Um, you know, so that that to me is in more the traditional uh, state of Rutgers now uh, versus versus uh, with the, the commitment of with Gus from Colorado, and you know that's completely out of the traditional footprint uh, for where Rutgers has recruited, but they needed a, you know, interior guy that could project the center. You know, they, they met, they missed out on, on Matt uh, uh, Gilpin, uh, uh, Gilpin uh, up in Connecticut, you know, so they, they had to go in and find another guy. Uh, and, you know, he, he seems to fit the bills for them uh, to be, you know, that, that true interior lineman that can maybe play center for them. So, you know, you, they're just doing what they got to do to, to bring in guys and they're going to get them from where they can find them. Yeah. And really is. And even, you know, Albert Reese is a guy that plays in Florida, but he's a Canadian. Um, It seems like they're starting to make some inroads at that school. And I guess you can never have too many offensive linemen. That's one of the positions that's really going to be critical on this year's team. I mean, the heck with, you know, how fast your backs are, if they got no nowhere to run, it's all for naught. But, um, you know, it leads me to another another point uh, when it comes to positions filling up in this class. Uncharacteristic of a class to have 19 recruits and not have a quarterback commit, but th- there isn't one. I mean, you've had uh, Noah Ver- Vedrill come in as a transfer, but usually that's a position that, that gets a commitment rather early in the recruiting cycle. What do you make of Rutgers not having a quarterback commitment in this class? And is it maybe feasible to say there might not be one? You know, um, I've always been the guy to uh, subscribe to the theory of, of bringing bringing at least one in every class, and especially uh, with just you know all the turnover um, nationally at at the quarterback position at every school. You know it, you know it, it makes sense that to have a guy, but you know when you look closely at the uh, the Rutgers current current depth chart, you know every, every player has um, you know when you look at the total depth, um, no player has no more than you know. Uh, less than two years left eligibility, um, you know, between uh, Arsikowski, uh, Vedral, uh, Lang, and all those guys. So, you know, they have guys that, you know, can be around for a while if, if they, you know, stick it out for whatever reason. Uh, and then when you when you bring in um, Peyton Powell as, as a possible guy that will get a look at quarterback, uh, I think it was, was it five or six uh, scholarship quarterbacks? Like, you know, that's a lot of guys already in the yeah. roster. And, you know, maybe maybe things would have been differently if, you know, Rutgers went through spring practice. Um, you know, they got a chance to look at all the guys on offense. Uh, you know, the guys that were here, you know, got a chance to say, you know what, I see where I fall, you know, in the pecking order. You know, maybe this isn't ideal for me. And maybe there's more of a sense of urgency to bring in a high school quarterback, um, you know, because there, there may just be transfers. But uh, that didn't happen. Uh, so if if they stick with what they have, you know, and I think it was big uh, that that Vidral – has two years if, if he was just a one-year guy you know maybe it's a bit different and there, there's more of a need to definitely get a guy uh for next year but with him being a two-year guy um you know there's there's a bit of a gap there that maybe you want to go directly to 2022 to get a guy um so it, it's it's not um you know ideal it's it's not what most teams would do uh but like i said with the amount of, of depth um, on the roster in terms of numbers at the quarterback right. position, maybe, maybe it makes sense. You know, if, if, if you can't bring the guy, uh, that you love, you know, um, 
then maybe you, you wait. And obviously this, this is a talent, uh, this is a roster that, you know, it needs to, you know, obtain talent at multiple positions. You, you obviously see that they're trying to, to build in the trenches, which is the most important, uh, you know, positions to fill on any roster. So, you know, I, there's a lot of people that argue on the board. Well, I'd rather a, a, a grab transfer O lineman if possible, or another offensive lineman versus a quarterback. And, yeah, I, I can see that side of the argument uh, as well for the fans. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's it's kind of unique because if you keep all those quarterbacks, you have a bunch, but then if you move Powell to another position, maybe you move John Lang into another position, maybe one of the guys says, ah, look, this isn't working, I transfer out. You, you could be down to a few in, in a matter of uh, a few months. So um, it'll be an interesting thing to see. But I think also the transfer situation really opens up a lot of possibilities in terms of, you know what, if we need one, we'll go out and get one later. And, and you can always grab a transfer who has multiple years uh, just for depth because most of the grad transfers are looking to come in and play right away. Yeah. But um, you know, like Taj Bullock is out there, but it doesn't seem like they're pressing him, you know, for a commitment. So it, it, to me, it feels like they're OK to go with the way things are and really not prioritize a quarterback right now. Oh, definitely. 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 And, um, you know, staying on recruiting, we like I said, tons to talk about. Another popular topic is state of Florida. You know, you know, the type of athletes that come out of there. It's just stacked. Uh, Florida football, you know, is, is well known. Rutgers has returned to the state of Florida, um, you know, grabbing commitments uh, from defensive end Henry Hughes, linebacker Austin Dean, as well as cornerback Stefan Johnson. What do you make of Rutgers return to the Sunshine State? You know, it's it's a little bit different than what we saw, you know, when, when Shiana was previously there, previously there um, as the head coach, it seemed to be more of an emphasis on, on South Florida and, uh, you know, Broward and Dade counties versus now uh, the three commits that are currently taken um, are more central Florida. I mean, Venice, you can argue is a little further South, but I don't think that's considered true South Florida. Um, but, you know, Dean, obviously a Tampa guy, he was a, a Tampa guy, um, you know, and, and Jim Panagos, uh, you know, defensive line coach has very strong ties in that region. We saw him, him we saw him recruit well there when he was at Rutgers previously and, and at all his other stops as well. Uh, so he's, you know, I saw someone uh, tweet something. I forgot who it was, uh, a, a, a coach or something is saying that. Uh, Jim Panagos is, you know, considered, you know, one of the best recruiters in, in that part of the state. Um, you know, so that that says a lot. Uh, like I said, everyone tends to look more at South Florida when talking about the state of Florida. But there's, you know, a, a ton of talent in, in Central Florida as well. And it helps to have a guy who is, is you know, well entrenched, well received in the region. You know, when when Shiano got the job, you know, obviously he went all around New Jersey, but you know, he took the helicopter down to Central Florida and visited multiple schools as well um, during the evaluation period to just show you know, how much of a priority the state was to him coming back. And you look at these commitments, uh, Hughes, you know, when, when you look on the surface and you, and you look at the film, you know, it, it's, it's not really that, that mind blown. But then when you, when you hear the resume, the fact that you know, he's a, you know, 4.0 student and he's really just learning how to play football and on top of all the athletic traits right there, then, then, you know, you, you really think, wow, that's a really intriguing player. Um, you know, you look at Austin Dean, uh, you know, he primarily plays defensive end for Berkeley prep. And a lot of that is out of necessity, you know, he'll move to, to middle linebacker most likely when he gets to Rutgers. And although you don't really see him 
playing the linebacker position, a lot of the things he does uh, at his defensive end position can carry over uh, to when he moves back a level. Um, it's, it's really impressive, especially to see him, uh, you know, setting the edge and, and taking on uh, bigger offensive tackles, um, you know, really just, you know, stopping guys in their tracks and, and maintaining his ground and stopping plays and just also seeing how physical he is as well. Um, you know, so there are obviously questions to see, you know, how well he'll move and moving back a level, but it's obviously been well documented that Greg Schiano, after, you know, he was uh, let go by Tampa Bay Bucks, was a volunteer coach at Berkeley Prep. So, you know, he, he knows the staff there extremely well. He, he obviously trusts those guys. So if they tell him, hey, coach, this guy, he, he can be a guy for you um, in defensive middle linebacker. Um, you know, Greg Schiano is going to take those guys by their word because he knows them well. And that, that definitely helped here. Uh, and then you look at you look at Johnson. He's a guy a little under the radar. You know, he, he transferred uh, from another school in the area uh, and, you know, ended up playing quarterback and also corner for his team. You you can't teach his speed. You, you definitely see it in his quarterback film. And just in general, I know um, between Fran Brown and Greg Schiano, they definitely like defensive backs that also have some some ball skills. And, and that's one thing with Johnson that's not lacking at all when, when you look at that quarterback film and – you know the type of talent they play at Venice. Um, in there's a lot of speed in their conference, just like there's a lot of speed in Florida. And you see him constantly pulling away from defenders in open field at, at quarterback. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see when he's a full time defensive back. I, I did think in looking at the film that you know he, he could be you know he needs to definitely improve uh, as a tackler. He can, he can improve his form a bit, but that can be taught. Uh, but you know that athleticism, that speed uh, is you know one of the, the key things that Shiano is trying to increase in the program since he's come back. And you know I you, you kind of figured he would go back to the state of Florida. It's interesting though. You know you made that point about. Um, you know, Tampa and, and being more up north on the panhandle, it, it's really, uh, uh, you know, he went to Clearwater, you know, which is, is not far from there either and, and got, um, you know, Wesley Bailey in the last class yep. uh, and also Albert Reese. They're also recruiting Brendan Barrow, running back out of Clearwater yep. International Academy really heavily. Um, and it is the state of Florida, but it's a totally different area. I think he went up there and got a couple on his last stint. Uh, I want to say Fred Overstreet was from up there, never turned out. And, um, I, I believe Jeremy Deering was from up that way as well. Um, but, you know, you, you didn't see too many of it. And um, really, you know, doing a good job of expanding the footprint. Um, do you still see New Jersey, uh, you know, the guys left? Is Rutgers, do you think they still finish strong in Jersey? Or did they kind of hit that, you know, uh, stretch run earlier when they were nabbing all those in-state commitments? Well, you, you know, I mean, with uh, with with the pandemic, uh, although recruiting has increased, I think uh, we did the numbers at 24-7 sports and we saw that it was uh, three times as many commits. Uh, I mean, it was close to 900 commits versus last year, a little like over 300 at this point in time. Um, you know, so um, the, the process is just moving faster at this point in time. Uh, but, you know, they're still in with, a, with you know, the local guys that are still recruiting hard. Uh, some of them are taking their time and, you know, they they would really want to see some schools. You know, you talk about uh, Gino Vandermark, um, you know, Arjun Estimate, his teammate running back at St. Joe's Montvale, uh, Makai uh, Bayer at Irvington, who was talking about announcing this weekend, uh, but said, you know, I'm, I'm going to you know push my timeline back when to see some schools. These are guys that, you know, they're they're doing well 
you know, or they're doing pretty well with them. Um, but there is a lot of competition uh, for these players as well that they are you know, that they're recruiting. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be a fight. Um, and now we see uh, things in our area, you know, are starting to trend down with the pandemic in uh, other parts of the country. You know, they, they've started to open things back up. So there may be a possibility for uh, some of these players to, to take visits to the school. And, and one of the things to, to note, I've seen it with some other programs, is that players are going and, and visiting schools with their family, even though the school is not in session. And then they're mm-hmm. doing, uh, they'll call the, the school on, on FaceTime, they'll call the coaches, and the coaches will give them almost like a guided tour. You see people like the art galleries, and they got the, the headphones in, they're walking through the, the piece of art. So I mm-hmm. see uh, other schools, players are doing that, where they're, they're going to visit the schools, even though there's a dead period. You can still go visit the school, you just can't go with the football program or you can't have a guided tour and they're still going to make visits. So I can see players, you know, starting to do that, you know, walk and at least physically spend some time on some campuses to, to get a feel of the layout and, and the environment. Um, and, and, you know, guys that I mentioned, they are, you know, I don't want to say hell bent, but they would really like to see some schools because they really haven't seen that much. They want to have some things to, to compare to before they made a decision. So. Yeah, it, it's such a such a unprecedented time, you know. Um, with all these visits, uh, the NCAA just extended the dead period till J- uh, July thirty first, um, you know, and and it might go even further. I do we see official visits at all this year? I mean, because the way it's trending now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I know a lot of it's speculation, but I mean, it, from your vantage point and everything you heard, is, is that a possibility to take place this year, or can we just wipe the slate clean for official visits in two? And 2020 you know it if if it's gonna happen i feel like it's gonna be you know in the back half of the year after football season but there there's a whole question you know people um are bracing for maybe a, a second wave of covid19 so that's uh another thing to to be aware of you know maybe there's a, a vaccine available and you know i don't want to go down the road and talk about the, the healthcare aspect of it but you know if, if it'll happen it's you know i think later in in the year but you know if, if schools are open um if they're playing games um you know with you know limited capacity it, it's still a chance for guys to go make visits then you know it's the whole aspect of all right can you can, can you do a a socially distant uh, official visit i mean yeah i guess you can go see stuff and, and spend time with a player and, and the coaches um you know so it's I feel for these coaches and athletic directors trying to to figure out, um, you know, all these things and what seems to be our, our new normal, at least for, you know, the next few months of this year. Right. And uh, like I said, unprecedented. Um, but, you know, is the high school season? I mean, I've heard different things from different people that supposedly in the know. Uh, it, it, do you think we'll see high school football this year in New Jersey? You know, I, I, I think we might. Um you know, I haven't looked super closely, uh, but I I see the you know there is a state task force in New Jersey that is you know you know trying to figure everything out. Uh, I actually I actually spoke with uh, one coach uh, from a, a tri-state area team, not a New Jersey program, but a, a tri-state area team earlier today, and you know he's you know operating on the assumption that they're going to have a season. They're playing a game against a, a New Jersey non-public. Um, I think they're they're opening their season against this team, so they're 
they're operating like, hey, we're going to be playing this game in early September. Um, you know, so I, I think they'll there'll be some sort of season. Even now, actually, um, there was the news today that if, um, you know, the state allows, you know, for high school sports to, to come back into play at some point this year uh, for baseball season, because obviously we've we're basically past most of the high school baseball season. Uh, they're talking about like a 64 team playoff tournament for baseball teams. So, you know, there, I think there'll be a way to uh, adapt the football schedule to maybe play some games. It may not be the full, the full schedule. Uh, I know some of the, the non-public teams up here that were planning to play out of state have, you know, already canceled those games. So if they're playing their schedule, it's probably just going to be the teams locally. They won't be getting on planes or, or taking long bus trips to go play anywhere like they usually do. Right. Yeah, they, they, they've even canceled my men's basketball league. There's no sign of when it's coming back. So <laughs> that, that's that's breaking news around my way. But um, <laughs> um, now, last one before I let you go, Sean, these this, like I said, unusual time um, with all these um, recruits committing early. Do you see the possibility of decommits? Because people, you know, it's one of the popular questions we get. And from everyone I've talked to player wise, recruit wise, you know, there's no reason for them to decommit because they can't go see anywhere else. And, and, you know, no coaches are being fired. Nothing's really happening. Um, what's your kind of take on, you know, that those decommits and, and the flip commits, are we going to see as much down the road, um, you know, closer to the first signing period? Uh, I, I think you might, you know, I mean, it's just natural in, in, as we've seen with, with college football that, you know, decommitments may happen. I, I mean, I think there have been schools that have, you know, done a good job or have had the ability to not allow any commitments in, in their classes. But, you know, it, the reality is that a lot of kids all over the country were, were committing um, because they saw, you know what, I don't know when I'm going to get to a school. Um, you know, I, I don't want to panic. I, I, I lose a spot, especially if they had a limited amount of offers, um, you know, so there, there definitely were more kids, you know, committing, uh, like you said, um, you know, triple the amount of kids committing than, than we saw last year. Uh, so I can see if, if things open up and maybe they finally get to a campus and, you know, things weren't what they thought they were. They don't vibe with the players for whatever reason. Uh, and, you know, colleges have also been forced to, you know, make some decisions on players way earlier than they wanted to uh, because mm -hmm. they didn't have the live evals. You know, they didn't really get a chance to, to walk up on a kid and, you know, they really had to just trust uh, virtually uh, what they got to know for a kid. Um, just like with any year, if if some player just does not have a good senior year uh, and they, they actually get a chance to play, um, you know, it's not in the realm of possibility for a college to say, you know what, we were we weren't fully sold on you. They internally like weren't fully, fully sold on this guy. We never had him on campus. You know, we built a relationship virtually with him. He, you know, his film wasn't what we thought it was. You know, we'll we'll move on. You know, so mm -hmm. they'll 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 definitely be some decommitments because that's just what happens. Um, you know, the amount uh, that remains to be seen. That's interesting because if you look at it from that perspective, there may be more once they get a better beat on everything. I mean, Art Sikowski would have been in Miami if if there was a cancellation of a senior season. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's an interesting vantage point to look at. That's why we asked Sean Brown of. Excellent take as always. Thank you for your time. Um, you can come see Sean on uh, Scarlet Nation Message Board, the roundtable. Uh, come on, 
talk to myself, Sean, John Otterstadt, and the rest of the crew, Brian Doan. And we'll see you next time on the Scarlet Nation podcast.